นโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังดัมมังสังขังนมัสสะHopefully, uh, gives us the freedom of awareness, the freedom of heart and mind, to be able to reflect on this passion, this dynamic. And I do think it's. Uh, Wise to acknowledge that only when we have some degree of freedom of awareness, uh, some perspective of coolness, are we in a position where we can really effectively reflect on these things. In other words, when we're all Fired up with passion, whether it's anger or whether it's lust. When we're all fired up, we don't have the perspective, we don't have the clarity. And we might be able to think. But often our thinking is driven and the pain of the anger we may be caught in can drive our minds to think in certain conditioned ways, desperate to get relief from the pain. Of being caught up in anger, and likewise with lust, our thinking can be driven in the direction of imaginings and how to release, relief, relieve, release ourselves from the the pain of being caught up in. Lustful desire. Such thinking that could not be called wise reflection, and I, I, I guess all of us are familiar with such desperate mental efforts 
So, to sit, to arrive at some calm of mind and ease of being, creating an inner space where we can raise up this question, this inquiry, this consideration. What is anger? How do we live with it? How do we meet it? Earlier on, I was I was considering, I was remembering a a, um, a situation I was told about by a scientist in the area of the Great Lakes in North America, and it seemed to fit into this theme of contemplating anger. It was a situation of a few years ago where by a particular insect turned up in the forests around one of the Great Lakes of northern Canada, uh, northern America, on the border between the US and Canada. And this uh, particular insect was recognized as being very dangerous to the, the forests and uh, it was basically stripping the trees. A moth, I think it was. And the scientists were instructed to find a pesticide that would uh, deal with the pest, eradicate the pest. And sure enough, they came up with a really nasty, toxic spray that um, they figured would kill off the pest and it was an urgent situation the moth was spreading at quite a rate and it was a, started off as around the lake and then spread out spread out until it was hundreds of miles hundreds of miles in radius and kept spreading it was such that they weren't able to spray the entire area in fact, remember correctly, they they're only able to effectively spray something like a, a thirty mile radius with this pesticide, and this went on for quite a few years, and I think it was about ten years. And what happened was that uh, after ten years, the pest, the insect, the moth, started to retreat and retreated inwards and this hundreds of mile radius, the, the, the trees started to grow back again and the moth just started to disappear until it came to the area which had been sprayed and it never disappeared from that area. The pesticide, whatever it was, had caused the insect to mutate in such a way whereby it didn't follow its natural pathway and disappear again 
in accordance with its nature, it stayed there. So it was recognized by some anyway that, that this is probably something that happens every few hundred years in that part of the forest of North America, that such a, a critter turns up and does its thing, goes through its cycle and eats up a part of the forest and then it disappears again. And be wiser to actually find a way of according with it rather than seeing it as a pest and trying to kill it off. And if we do try to kill it off, then, then there can be very uh, unforeseen and unfortunate consequences. But this is surely what tends to happen when we're faced with things that we don't like. We immediately perceive them as the enemy and, and tend to see it as a something going wrong. And but this is a this is a very initial perception and, and, and as the example shows, uh, um, if we don't reconsider our perceptions we can behave in ways that have serious consequences. I've just come back from Australia and there's a similar situation there whereby the um, the forests when I was in I was in Victoria and the southern part of Australia and and the forests have been on fire there for weeks and and um, of course for a lot of people it's uh, perceived as a, an absolute disaster the forest should never burn it's terrible to see these burnt trees but actually looking at it from the bigger picture the perspective of the bigger picture this is something that happens to the forests of Australia periodically the trees burn and then they regrow again uh, from one perspective it's a disaster from another perspective it's just the course of nature so these examples from nature can serve to encourage us to wisely reflect on our habitual initial reactions to things that make us feel threatened. And we need things to encourage us because uh, our, our untrained, untamed, passionate nature is such that when anger arises, and if we get caught up in it, we just want to lash out. It feels so good, actually, from one perspective. You get filled with rage. It feels it's like with lust. You get filled with lustful desire. It's so energizing, and it can feel so good just to get really passionately indignant. And, and, and righteous in our rage. But from a cooler perspective, when we stop and reflect and, and look at the result of, of following this energy, it always moves us to want to cause harm. We want to hurt. Yes. I've been offended. I've been insulted. I've been threatened. And this heat comes up. 
from down our belly somewhere and can possess our hearts and can go all the way up into our heads and if we don't contain it, it can start coming out through our mouth or through our fists or it can whirl around in our heads and drive us crazy with, with ideas and mental fantasies and who we're going to hurt and just that's what it feels like just to want to hurt I really want to hurt and if we really get possessed by that whether it's because we've been threatened and we feel afraid or whether we become insulted and feel hurt if we really get possessed by that well then that's what happens in war that's why people do the most unbelievable atrocious things that from the perspective of those who are not actually in the war who are not there in in Bosnia in Serbia a few years ago or in Rwanda before that and who knows where next if you're not actually there and you hear of all the, the slaughter and the torture and the rape and the horror, the unbelievable horror. It, it's, it's, it's almost unimaginable to take it in. It's only imaginable when we actually get caught up in that passion and that passion possesses us. Literally we become possessed by hatred and then the body acts accordingly. So partly now, consideration on, on on dealing with our own experience of anger, we we need to reflect on this in terms of the consequence. Observing in nature, observing in human behaviour, and from a, a clear, calm perspective, think: Well, can I afford to not deal with my own anger? I may not be motivated to murder but I can be motivated to hurt I can want to at the very least say some pretty cutting unkind things and maybe it doesn't even take much the right time and the right day I mean, push my button and, and the heat flares up and something comes out something unkind gets said and it can have very far-reaching consequences. So the Buddha encouraged us with what he called yoniso manasikara, or wise reflection, not to wait until we're caught up in anger before we uh, engage it. Where the Buddha talks about the, the different ways of of meeting the so-called obstructions to peacefulness of heart and mind, uh, he doesn't say, "Well, it's just you know one technique for dealing with things." There are many different ways of dealing with things. You know, some obstructions arise in the mind, and you can just turn away from them, like in meditation. You know, some things arise in the mind and disturb you, and you can just come back to watching the breath, and they disappear. There are other levels of intensity that arise in the mind, and and you actually, you, know, you can't just turn away from them. you've got to look at them and then generate a counter force. You know, if you're 
mind is caught up in in, uh, in anger, and then you know what's called for is actually to generate the force of loving kindness, and then that will do it. And then there are other levels of intensity whereby we actually have to analyze and look and say, well, what's actually going on here? What is the nature of this anger anyway? And to really consider the the passion, the force, the energy, the consequences to really investigate it. And there are some levels of intensity of <clears throat> of distraction whereby the Buddha says all you can do is push your tongue up against the roof of your mouth and grit your teeth and endure it until it passes. The level of intensity is such that you can't deal with it at such a time. Now, it's, uh, it's, it's suitable for us to acknowledge that there are such levels of intensity uh, of distraction and <clears throat> and when they arise to not try too hard to deal with them. You say, what I got to do is endure this. Just don't act on it. Just don't act on it. Don't don't even let it go up into the head and think about it. If we if we follow it by way of body, speech or mind, we're creating karma. We are we are actually acting on it, we're fueling the passion. So the Buddha's encouragement was just to endure it and consciously choose that this rage, this passion, I will endure it, I will endure it. The Buddha actually talks about like a strong man pushing down a weaker man in a fight. You know, you're actually holding something down. Now this might sound like blind repression, but this is not blind repression. This is just saying this is a, something of that level of intensity you know, whereby we can't actually, it's like if somebody's crazy, you get a madman who's really you know, out of their head, somebody's really drunk and, and, and completely lost control. All you do is you just, you just pin them to the floor and hold them there. You don't sit down and say, shall we share our feelings? Yeah, let's talk about this together. Yeah, if somebody's out of control, you just pin them down and hold them there or give them some ligactyl or something, you know, something to sedate them until they've recovered from the possession. And then we can deal with it. And so that's, that's important to recognize that, that you know, we sometimes passions do flare up to a level of intensity where we don't know how to meet them. And the appropriate response is to humbly acknowledge that I don't know how to meet this right now, so I can just contain it. I can't investigate this right now. I'll just contain it. Whatever I do, I'm not going to make it any worse by following it through a way of karma of body, speech, or mind. Just contain it. Just hold it. And it will pass. And it does pass. But we don't forget about it. And the tendency is you know, sometimes when we've experienced such an upthrust or, or even, unfortunately, regrettably, an outburst of passionate rage, and when we recover, we just think, oh, thank goodness, I survived that. And then we go and distract ourselves and try not to think about it again. That's, uh, that's, that doesn't work. And the reason we got caught up in it is because we've, um, it's something we don't recognize, something we don't understand. We get fooled. In the moment, we get fooled. In the moment of it arising, we get fooled by the way it appears to be. We think, this is an enemy, I've got to kill it. This is a pest, I've got to spray it. This is a problem, I've got to get rid of it. Yeah. And the Buddhist perspective is, this energy is, is, is to be purified this is not just something to be gotten rid of. This is something to be understood and to be purified. 
And the first level of purification is containment or restraint, not to act on it. And so if we can survive it without acting on it, then later on, in a cool and clearer mind state, we put some time aside and say, well, what was that anyway? And in this way we prepare ourselves. We say, well, what is this anger anyway? When you know, such and such a person does that, that really gets me going. It really gets me going. What is the situation anyway that really gets me going? It's not just that person. Actually, there's a, there's a situation. I find, and I've been reminded of this recently because I've just been home again to spend time with my family in New Zealand, and and there's something that really gets me going, and that's being treated as if I'm not significant. Right? You don't matter. The fact that you've been a monk for 27 years and you, you, you've been working at something, with them, that's irrelevant. It's much more important to celebrate somebody having a new baby or somebody getting married, and these are really important things in life. And, uh, or, you know, the global crisis and, and um, how to actually approach it in a contemplative way is not important. What's important is, is to have the right view, the right opinion on it. To be dismissed, in other words, and and uh, so in the time of it happening, I can feel a little heat building up and indignation, and how dare you dismiss me? And, and the mind can go into into very unpleasant, painful, very painful states of feeling justified, you know, feeling really, how dare you dismiss me? I'm a wise person. I've got a wise perspective on these things. You should listen to me. <laughs> the voice goes up. And the heat comes up. Well, if we can survive the humiliation of having lost it, and then afterwards stop and reflect and get to the point of really actually acknowledging, oh, I lost it, I got caught up, caught up, you know, the heat... You feel that heat coming up, and it starts coming out through your mouth. And we could dwell on it and say, "I was right. I was justified." And we can go on about how justified we are. But even that is rather hot and agitated. If we have a sitting practice, and we do know how to, we do have at least a respect for calm and peace of mind, and we sit and. We experience how dwelling on our own justified rage is an obstruction to peace of mind. Actually, one can hopefully arrive at the point of willingness to let it go. I drop it. I, I lost it, basically. I lost I got carried away. I got caught up in anger. And we drop it and we feel a peace. And say, all oh, right, okay. That's the pain. That's the consequence of getting caught up in it. Now, I'm not necessarily suggesting when we're sitting in meditation that we should be sitting there thinking about anger, but, you know, maybe having come out of meditation just to spend some time sitting quietly and saying, well, what is it anyway, This whenever somebody dismisses me and treats me like I'm unimportant, and then this feeling of heat comes up and I feel justified. In other words, we go over it, but not just getting caught up, not just getting caught up in it. This is not, this is not proliferation. 
Now, this is contemplation. Now, the, uh, the difference, if you want to know the difference between proliferation and contemplation, with contemplation we can stop the thinking. We can return to silence, we can listen to silence. We can disengage from the momentum of mental activity. We can come back to feeling what it feels like in our guts, in our heart, on the surface of our head. If it's proliferation, then we're driven and we lose touch with the body. So, in coming to an awareness of how to meet our anger skillfully, there is a time often for for many of us, whereby we we do need to go over situations that tend to get us angry. And in so doing, we equip ourselves with increased mindfulness. We prepare ourselves. We don't just wait until the situation where that person says this or that situation happens. And maybe there's a... I found when I was at home watching television with my mother, there's certain images on the television that were just... Just, just like, do something to my heart. So there are certain world leaders that that speak in particular ways and make certain gestures, and um, and there's just something gets triggered when I see it. And I could get judgmental about that, and saying, "Oh, I shouldn't hate such and such," or, you know. but. To merely get judgmental of our anger doesn't help. And for many of us, this is a this is a, a very fundamental obstruction to being able to really inquire into our relationship with anger. If we hold a, a deeply conditioned view that I shouldn't feel angry, then that's very difficult to feel anger. And uh, I, I know this, in fact, <laughs> I could probably say for most people I know, for these most men anyway, it seems to be a problem that you get very early taught in life that you're not allowed to get angry. Anger is wrong, basically. You shouldn't feel angry. You certainly shouldn't act angry. And so if you're told you're not allowed to act in an angry way, you know, the next thing you assume is you shouldn't feel angry. and. And so we use our will to just basically stop feeling angry. And for a lot of men, I know, you know, once they've learned how to stop feeling angry and hatred, they also learn how to not love anybody. They don't know how to feel anything after a while and become numb, become chronically depressed. And it can be quite an awakening, quite a discovery that actually the way out of feeling depressed is to give ourselves permission to feel angry. Not to become angry, that's very different. Becoming angry is getting caught up in the movement of anger and and being driven into action. But feeling anger and actually letting ourselves feel anger is a necessary part of investigation. 
So it could be the case for a lot of us that we need to really stop and ask ourselves a question. You know, do we have a fundamental view that we're not allowed to feel angry? And when we start to feel angry, does it come up and say, I shouldn't be so I shouldn't feel angry? It can be programmed into us from our childhood and then it can be compounded by our Buddhism. Yeah. The Buddha taught, you know, many times and we chant the the discourse on loving kindness, we're going to chant it shortly. You know. yeah. Radiating loving kindness throughout all the world in all the directions, even as, a mo- even as a mother loves her only child and protect with her life her only child. So should we love all beings. And we can pick that up in a, a rather idealistic way and think, well, I should be loving everybody. The Buddha obviously was wise and had it totally together and he said I should be loving and so we can pick that up as a injunction of how I should be and treat it like one of the commandments that we got taught you know, thou shalt be loving to everybody and and if we hear the teachings in such a way and and and, and then hold on to the idea that I should be loving I should be compassionate and sensitive that when something happens, and actually what's happening is I feel angry, I can't feel it. I can't feel I can't allow it. I, you know, for a lot of people, they feel guilty. As soon as they feel angry, they start feeling guilty. So in our getting to know anger and learning how to meet it in a responsible way, it, it can be the case that for many people, you need to stop and ask the question, am I allowed to feel angry? Or do I think it's wrong to feel angry? From the perspective of Buddhist practice, there's nothing wrong with feeling angry. In the discourses the Buddha gave on on mindfulness of breathing, it, it talks about feeling what we feel mindfully. If the meditator feels pleasure, the meditator feels pleasure. It's just so. So likewise, if if we feel anger, we feel anger. It's just so. Now, if it's not just so for us, and the anger comes up and I am angry, and we start coming out with our justifications for it, and our mind starts whirring around about well then we can know we're caught up in it then we know that we're in a state of diminished responsibility our intelligence, our perspective is gone and then we have to turn to our trust and the practice of restraint and harmlessness, our commitment to harmlessness and say well whatever happens I'm just not going to act on this I'm just not going to act, I'm not going to act I'm not going to do anything with my body, I'm not going to speak and, and inhibit the mind you know, to think about anything, you know, go jogging, take a cold shower, do anything other than actually acting on the anger, letting it control us, letting us drive us into making more karma. And then when we've survived it, uh, it's a time to stop and reflect on it and say, right, if I feel that I have to act by body or speech or mind, then we can consider that we're in a state of diminished responsibility. 
we're being driven. But if we exercise restraint and containment and mindfulness, feel a feeling here and now, not getting caught up in the idea of all this anger is always going to be there, because that's that's part of the consequence of getting caught up in anger. You know, when you, if somebody has done something and betrayed you, or you've perceived somebody's betraying you, or you've betrayed yourself, and then the rage comes up, that heat, and and if we get caught up in it, the perception that arises is it's always going to be this way. It's always going to be like this, and then if we assume the validity of that perception, then our thinking follows on in a crazy way accordingly. We say, I can't stand it anymore. I just can't stand the thought of it's always going to be like this. Top myself is much better. That's the kind of thought that comes when when we get caught up in, in anger and, and fear and can't have any perspective on it. That's eternal hell. That's, that's eternal hell when we get caught up in anger and fear. And it, it, it appears to us as if it's always going to be that way. However, if we've prepared ourselves with mindfulness, with patience, with kindness, then we hopefully have what it takes to endure this upthrust of wild, passionate energy until it subsides and then we can reflect on it again and say, well, what is it that causes me to get so caught up in this? In a careful, feeling way. Feel a feeling. Feel how intoxicating it is. Feel. We can feel how energizing it is. Feel how right it feels. Feels what it feels like to be right. I know I'm right and they're wrong and I really am right and they're definitely wrong and that Ooh, that passion, that it feels so good, and, and it can be very addictive. In the contemplative path of investigation into the nature of these human passions, it what's called for actually is a willingness to allow ourselves to feel like we're being starved. Because, you know, when we've been feeding on these for a long time, it's, you know, if you grow up thinking that following greed, aversion and delusion, following these passions and trying to get more of them, intensifying them, if we, we grow up in that way, then, you know, in a way, we, we basically, we, we're feeding on them. And, um, but you reach a certain point where you feel, well, that's like feeding on junk food. You know, it's a quick fix. It's a quick hit. You can feel good by, you know, a good hit of indignation or a good hit of lust or something. You know, watch some, some movie or, or the news actually, as far as that goes, and get a, a quick fix. But after a while of feeding on that stuff, it doesn't feel so good. And and you know, the precious doubt that is the one of the one of the mainstays of spiritual practice. The doubt arises. Well, maybe it's not the way it appears to be. Maybe actually feeding on this righteous indignation and rage and and desire to be right. Maybe, maybe this is a false 
level of energy. Maybe there's another reality behind this, and if such a doubt arises, then that's a good thing. And by listening to that doubt and by heeding the wisdom inherent in that doubt, we start to question. And the questioning means we find a willingness to restrain ourselves. We learn to give up the impulse to follow anger, to hurt, hurt ourselves, hurt others in our actions of body, speech and mind. We restrain it, we renounce it. But in the process, actually, it starts to feel like, you know, we're, we're dying, really. You know, by following, by, by inhibiting or renouncing it, our desires and our passions, it feels like we're dying. And, and this is why there is a, all the instruction and the spiritual traditions to support us in the process of releasing out of feeding on these passions until we grow into a sense of confidence that comes from living in awareness. It doesn't doesn't just happen overnight. We can't just we can't just suddenly stop feeling good about being angry and following our desires and be mindful and be aware. It doesn't happen overnight. But what we're encouraged to do in our practice is is to trust in this possibility little by little inhibit the tendencies to follow these things and, and then exercise wise contemplation and investigate until we see the false as the false as the Buddha put it when we see the false as the false then we start to attain to the real and so seeing these false energies following, getting energised by feeling right by knowing who our enemy is getting a sense of security and confidence by feeling sure as we renounce these and move more into an awareness of not being sure who's right, who's wrong, what's right, what's wrong rather feeling for our own inner motivation are we coming from a place that is intending to cause harm to others that we can have confidence in in our action of speech. Sometimes when we speak about this current global crisis, it's it's not difficult to get all fired up and start taking sides and saying who's right and who's wrong. But in our speech, if we stop and look at our motivation, where are we coming from? Are we contributing to increased well-being or are we actually fueling the fires of conflict? So in our contemplation of anger, I would suggest that that we start by checking to see whether we perceive anger as an enemy that we've got to kill off. Maybe remember the story of the the moth in the forest of North America. If we if we approach our enemy by thinking we just kill them, we'll be better off. Maybe we actually make the situation worse. If we can at least stop perceiving our anger as an enemy and judging it, then maybe we'll be in a position where we have the space, we have the freedom, we have the awareness, the perspective to inquire into it for ourselves and arrive at our own understanding. Thank you for your attention.